You're listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the Internet to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web shapes popular opinion, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com. Mike McDougall, director of corporate communications for Bausch & Lomb, goes on the record online at the PRSA International Conference 2008 in Detroit. I think Kodak knew what needed to happen and was starting to put the resources against it. What they weren't ready for was the culture shock. Uh, so we have communications professionals uh, you know, wearing jeans and t-shirts in one office and other communications professionals wearing suits and ties 13 miles away. Uh, throwing the two together and saying you're part of the same company, you know, work together, is easier said than done. And thank you for downloading this episode of On the Record Online with Mike McDougall, APR, Director Corporate Communications of Bausch & Lomb, recorded at the PRSA International Conference 2008 in Detroit. We caught up with Mike prior to his uh, panel presentation here, and we spoke to him about the fall of the House of Kodak, uh, the online video explosion, and the accessibility of social media channels for business-to-business and niche communicators. Hi, this is Chris Bechtel, and I'm the Vice President of Products and Services with iPressroom. And I'm here with the new segment called What You Can Do with iPressroom. This week, we're talking about SEO, aka Search Engine Optimization. Using iPressroom's media platform, non-technical communications pros can easily search optimize their press releases and other content to increase the visibility and relevancy in search. iPressroom provides a press release SEO wizard as a part of every Pressroom package, and this includes a step-by-step online tool for optimizing your releases for better visibility in search. Once optimized, you can upload your release directly to your online press room and to the wire service of your choice. Adding trackable hyperlinks in your release enables you to drive traffic to specific web pages on your client's website or your corporate site and track those conversions. To learn more, see us in action, feel free to send email to info at ipressroom.com or visit us on the web at www.ipressroom.com demo. Mike McDougall, Director of Corporate Communications at Bausch & Lomb, thank you so much for joining us. No, thanks for having me. Uh, I think uh, for many years I actually was a Bausch & Lomb stockholder. I appreciate it. I'm not not a, anymore. <laughs> I'm not a sophisticated investor. I think I owned like five stocks and I just figured, ah, that one looks good. You like the stock certificate, right? I had a pretty picture on it. So. I didn't actually get the certificate. I think I bought it and sure. you know, the bankers sure. kept it. I don't know how I did it. How did I do on it? Uh, I think you did pretty well. Yeah? Yeah, depending when you sold, I think you made out pretty well. How long have you been at uh, Bausch & Lomb? I've been there just over 18 months. Just over 18 months. And you came from? I came from uh, Eastman Kodak Company. Okay. I worked in their digital division, which was uh, certainly had its challenges and also its rewards as that company uh, struggled to uh, you know, kind of turn the tide on uh, film to digital. We are, are here with uh, uh, Mike McDougall at the PRSA International Conference in Detroit, where he is presenting on social media, yes? I am. It's Tell a, me about uh, what you're talking about. Sure. I'm going to speak about the use of online video 
in communications campaigns. Yeah, I think all too often, even as professionals, we look at YouTube or Juiced or Rever as you know, a source of entertainment, and we forget that pretty basic video tools that we used to use with traditional media can be applied to online media as well, you know, without that much effort. Like how? How? Um, you have a spokesperson. Wouldn't you think you may want to actually have your spokesperson taped and on your website? So as a, a potential broadcaster came in, they could say, oh, you know what, actually they're decent on camera. You know, you, you think about 10 years ago. You used to send, you know, sample clips to CNBC before you went on. And why don't you have that same video or that same footage posted to your site today? Uh, simple things like dusting off your archives. You know, if you're like me, you have cabinets full of video from, for being out, 100, well, I would say it's 155 years of video, uh, but we have video dating back, you know, into the early 1900s. Um, digitize it, you know, make it available to your employees, to media, uh, for archival broadcasts, you know, put it on YouTube. Um, you have a huge platform that's free for the taking. And again, I think we're only kind of scratching the surface on how you could use it in your day-to-day -day practice. So let's talk about, uh, just from a tactical standpoint about how you do that. Right. Because if you go to a site and you play the video and it buffers, mm -hmm. it's very frustrating. It is. And of course, your takeaway is, geez, these guys don't have it together, they can't get their website going. How do you make sure that the video on your site is going to play to the viewer in Singapore sure. or the viewer in Russia? I think there's a couple of ways to look at it. One, you can either invest in a pretty substantial back end. So I won't uh, you know, make any endorsements, but BNL, we have a provider uh, that also provides video services to the New York Times and others. So we know when you click on it, you'll have a great stream. But at the same time, say you're a small company or you have a small client, use YouTube. I mean, phenomenal backend, owned by Google, you know, data warehouses around the world, and you're always going to get a good result, or I say in the most cases. You know, usually what's limiting there is your own bandwidth. You know, your end, you know, God help you if you're on a dial-up modem, which uh, I don't think anybody has anymore. But, you know, from a, uh, from a YouTube perspective, that's going to play. So use it. It's free. And uh, how many other you know, times in life or in your profession do you have a, a free platform such as that uh, for the taking? So incidentally, I have to play devil's advocate Please. here. Okay, I just got back from Asia. Mm -hmm. I was uh, training government communicators in Singapore on social media. Mm -hmm. And on the weekend, I was in Thailand with sure. my wife and child. And uh, Sarah Palin was going to be on Saturday Night Live. Right. So we were desperate to watch it. <laughs> and uh, we went every, every time we went onto YouTube, and actually found it, before we could watch it, a sentence came up that said, this has been removed by NBC for copyright it restrictions. Is. So then we figured to ourselves, okay, that's fair enough, it's their media, they mm -hmm. just want us to go to NBC.com. Right. And we did. And we could not get a stream in Asia that was watchable. It just kept buffering. Even if we let it alone and tried to come back mm -hmm. and play it, it didn't work. And there was no download option. Here I'm thinking, you know, NBC, television network, arguably the most powerful, you know, well-entrenched broadcaster in the world. Um, and they can't deliver a stream to Asia. And I'm just thinking, well, my God, this stuff's in its infancy. They just haven't gotten it together yet. Well, I don't even say if it's in its infancy. I'd say that's a, uh, a lack of judgment on the part of whoever's running new media at NBC. I say the capability is there. I mean, they can request additional bandwidth. Uh, they can pull that up and have it run. They should know that with the SNL ratings the way they've been in recent weeks, they're going to have that demand. 
and they should be accounting for that. Uh, again, it's a lost opportunity on their part. I don't think it's technological. I think it's somebody made a bad judgment call. And, uh, you don't think it's a result of not having a global content delivery all. network in place? Not at all. I think it's somebody didn't bother to uh, essentially increase the bandwidth size. And again, think back to traditional media. So much of what we do today in online video or online media you know, has its roots in traditional. You have a conference call. It's a hot topic. You know, it's an investor call. You know, average you'd have 200 lines, you know, but say you just went private or you're going to go public or there's some other issue, you know, you could increase your lines to a thousand. It's the same way with video. Tim Coyne, our audio engineer and also the Hollywood podcast podcaster, had sent me an email t in Thailand telling me where to find, where did you say to, that I should? You sent Hulu, me to Hulu right? and, I, and I still wouldn't play, even Hulu. So now you got Fox, exactly. News Corp, and they can't deliver a stream to Asia either. And I'm thinking to myself, what's going on here? It's, um, and again, I think the technology is there. It's having the right judgment to increase the bandwidth. And, you know, not without getting too technological, you know, somebody's made the wrong decision. It's as simple as that. Okay, let's, let's talk for a minute about uh, your experiences at Kodak. Sure. Because I'm sure a lot of our listeners would like to know, Kodak, when I was a kid, was, you know, one of the most visible, mm -hmm. you know, shiny brands on the globe. Mm -hmm. And uh, no one, I can think of no one really been, that's been hit harder by digital technology. Um, what was it like being there in the digital division? Did they, were you sort of viewed as the guy who was trying to reinvent the place or were you viewed as a member of the team that, that was responsible for the demise of this great company? I mean, how were you viewed internally by your colleagues? It, it, it varies. When I joined Kodak in January of 2003, uh, there was a burgeoning digital camera business. I think the digital camera business you know, had a number three, number four market share um, in the world. You know, with margins, you know, eight to ten points, maybe. Um, you saw differing views. You know, those within the digital division, obviously we thought we were the saviors of this great brand. Um, you had folks who had been selling film for a hundred years, literally, fearing what would happen. You know, here's the unknown. What's this digital group going to do to us? Uh, at the same time, you had the pioneers of digital still within Kodak. So Kodak invented the digital camera, 1975. In fact, I had the model in my office for, uh, for a couple of years. Uh, and then you know, put it on a shelf because for them, they said, you know, we can control the pace with digital rolls out because that's what Kodak had always done. They'd controlled the photography industry. But you know what? They forgot about the Sonys of the world uh, or others coming in with patents on the back end. Um, it was a time that I think Kodak knew what needed to happen and was starting to put the resources against it. What they weren't ready for was the culture shock. Uh, so when you have communications professionals uh, you know, wearing jeans and t-shirts in one office and other communications professionals wearing suits and ties 13 miles away, uh, throwing the two together and saying you're part of the same company, you know, work together, is easier said than done. So, so where does that leave Kodak today, and, and what's the future for sure. Kodak, in your opinion? In my opinion, and I'll, and I'll speak freely, um, I think Kodak does have a future. Uh, the question is, what's the business model? Uh, digital cameras uh, are quickly becoming a commodity. Uh, you may see $5 difference, $10 difference. Um, you know, Sony's a huge player, uh, Canon, uh, Nikon, you know, even bit players you hadn't seen in the past. Uh, Kodak has brilliant technology. Uh, brilliant R&D resources, they need to get the stuff out of their labs and into the market, and that's how they're going to be successful. You know, whether they do it themselves or not, that's the question. Kodak has a tendency to say, we'll develop it, we'll put the Kodak badge on it, and it will sell. You know, the Kodak brand, 
doesn't have the same value as it did 20 years ago, to your point. Um, you know, in partnership with somebody else, say if it's a TV manufacturer with a Kodak symbol on it saying it's Kodak color, I think that's much more appealing than, a, say, a Kodak-branded television set, which they're trialing in Japan right now. So are you suggesting that uh, maybe organizations should avoid innovating? Not if, at all. If, if, in fact, they can buy something off the shelf, they should? No, I think you have to uh, have a mix, even at B&L, uh, for example. You know, our pipeline is fueled by organic growth, uh, pharmaceuticals, surgical supplies, contact lenses. But at the same time, there's a lot of small startups that need capital that we can go in and create licensing deals, we can acquire, and you have to have that mix. If you try to do it all yourself, uh, there are companies that have. Uh, there's a, a large chance that uh, you'll fail uh, because you just can't keep applying those resources. And, uh, and you may not have the brand to make it happen. Let's talk uh, about Bausch & Lomb. Sure. Um, obviously, when you started, there was the solutions recall. There was. Uh, tell us about it. What did you learn? What did we learn? And I came in after the recall had occurred. So I, uh, I joined BNL in April of 07. Uh, I think we learned a few things. One is a need for transparency. Um, the company was open uh, and honest about what was happening uh, during the recall time frame. Uh, I think one thing we could have done better from a media sense was to help the media understand the timelines. This thing had dragged on over the course of months. And I think there was a lot of speculation about what was happening, what wasn't happening um, in terms of the recall. And B&L traditionally um, had been somewhat conservative uh, in its outreach to media. Uh, so, you know, I can't speak to the past and, you know, hindsight is great. But I think to say, look, here's what we're doing. Let's have daily updates, weekly updates on where things stand, even if nothing had happened. Um, there's, there's a tendency to say, you know, what will communicate when there's something to communicate? I mean, the absence of information um, should be communicated at that time as well. You know, moving forward, uh, I also think it's a matter of knowing whom to work with uh, globally. Uh, you know, BNL is a, a company, uh, um, we have presence in 100 countries. Uh, we have an extremely small communication staff. Um, and to be able to reach out uh, broadly, you know, using our resources around the world, even if they aren't in communications, uh, to carry our message is something we've learned we need to do. So uh, there's a lot of uh, workshops here about social media. Right. People are excited about social media. They're excited about the trend towards uh, promoting uh, just how green your organization mm -hmm. is. Um, do you think it's, it's fair? Do you think we're throwing the baby out with the bathwater? I think we're uh, closely approaching throwing the baby out with the bathwater. You know, the baby's uh, headed towards that drain. And you're right, everything at the conference, it's either green or social, or it's a green social program. I think there's an absence of looking at traditional media. Uh, how social programs uh, can become part of that mix um, and using that intelligently. You know, I think the issue is too, you look at, uh, you speak to a number of students here and they're coming and saying, yeah, wow, look at Facebook, look at YouTube, you know, look at Bebo, look at all these other technologies uh, and platforms, Twitter. Yeah, they're great. Um, but you know what? What do you still celebrate in the profession? You know, you land a story in the Times. You know, people are, uh, you know, shaking it all around, right? That hasn't been diminished. Um, social is just another layer, another part of the toolkit. And I think, to our detriment, we're forgetting that. Well, you know what I wonder, and I don't, um, I don't uh, take any issue with the suggestion that a hit in the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times is great. Mm -hmm. We all love it. Sure. But there's no way to draw a straight line between that hit and sales. A search engine optimized press release is a little different, right? Because there is. people can actually find it through Google and click on it mm -hmm. and make a purchase. 
So it's, all, it's, it's sort of like, uh, you know, we're going into a new business because direct communications, we're getting into marketing here. Well, it's a matter of tracking too. And I think we've always been marketing, you know, having these metrics in place, or at least the ability to measure success on some direct media avenues is, is a boon for the industry. It actually it, uh, validates a lot of what we've done. But at the same time, you know, you have a hit in the journal, you have a major account responsible for uh, tens of millions millions of dollars of sales come in and say, "Hey, I saw this today. Wow, that really made an impact." Does that have a does it result? Absolutely. Um, can you measure it down to the person? No. But I, you know, I contend that you know, 20 years ago, you know, we talk about driving online conversations. You know, the profession's been driving conversations for years. Uh, have we been able to measure it? Not necessarily, and that's caused an issue. Uh, but that's not to say we didn't do it. So just because we can measure one and still not measure another doesn't mean there's no value in it. So um, one of the things I do is I teach uh, new media to organizations right. and I also teach a workshop, actually a few workshops for the PRSA. And there are certain questions that come up again and again in these conferences. Mm -hmm. And one of the most frequently asked questions is, uh, by someone who's a B2B communicator, or a mm -hmm. niche communicator, looking at these technologies and they'll say something like, well, you know, I could see how Disney could do this. I could see how IBM could do this. I could see how Nike could do sure. it. But I'm just a niche communicator. What value is, it in, is there in it for me? You're obviously communicating to influencers because you want to talk to doctors. Right. How are you using social media and new media for niche online communications? Well, in fact, I think niche is your best opportunity. You know, back in 97, uh, I want a silver anvil. Uh, for niche online communications. You know, social media wasn't even a term back then. We just called it niche online. It was for blogs for the gaming community. Um, say in the eye health industry, can you think, you know, how do you use it? Eye doctors, ophthalmologists, surgeons, you know, they, they tape a lot of their surgeries. Um, so in many ways, they're looking to see best practices in video format. It's tough to write about, you know, how you perform a, uh, a cataract surgery. You know, you can watch it in 15 seconds and say, oh, I understand what he did here with the, uh, you know, the capsular bag, not to go into detail. You can do that. Uh, two, those niche communities are looking for more and more content, um, and it's not just the written form. Uh, you go into trade media uh, for the eye health industry. You know, they're running their own podcasts. Uh, they're running online communities, uh, best practice sharing. You know what? Get involved in the discussion. Uh, we're in there. Uh, I think we need to do more, quite honestly, and we probably will uh, here in the next couple of years. Um, but uh, niche, in fact, is, is the place to be um, for these social media tools. Mike McDougall, Corporate Communications at Bausch & Lomb. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Eric. I appreciate it. You've been listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the web to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web impacts corporate reputations, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com.